0: Today's episode of Heat Check is brought to you by Belvedere, part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition. Belvedere vodka is all-natural and made with 100% non-GMO Polska rye and pristine water. Belvedere has championed Polska rye vodka and superior natural ingredients since its inception and continues their mission with its new Belvedere Single Estate Rye Series. These award-winning vodkas, Smogory Forest and Lake Bartazek, are two distinct-tasting vodkas born from unique ter- War and expert craftsmanship. Expert craftsmanship, just like the Warriors pulling off game two on the road, some of their parts team. Taste the difference and enjoy Belvedere's new single estate rye vodkas on the rocks are in a delicious cocktail today. Belvedere is a quality choice. Drinking responsibly is too. And now he check.
1: check. You knew that
0: was coming. It's heat Check time. Welcome to Heat Check. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. Isaac Lee, our producer, is back in LA, and I am joined once more, not just in Toronto, but in my hotel room by my man and your man, Dan Devine. Thanks for having me, Guns. <laughs> it's wonderful. You didn't say that in a creepy way at all. Game two. <laughs> <laughs> game two uh the warriors somehow pull it off even the series dan at 1-1 it was a very strange game. You and I watched it together. I got to be inside the arena for tonight's game <laughs> was as nice. opposed to outside with the fans. It was nice to sit with it you. It was great. It was wonderful. And at the half, you turned to me and you said, how the hell are the Warriors only down five? Because both of us thought they should have been down, you know, 50. And then we get the third quarter Warriors that we've come to expect. They go on this crazy run and boom, they even the series.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I might, I might have used a different word than hell at that point too. I, w- I really could not believe that it was 59-54 at half you know, the Warriors were shooting 40% from the floor. Uh, they turned it over nine times already. There really wasn't much going on for them besides Klay Thompson and Steph Curry scoring and Draymond Green kind of, you know, doing a little bit of everything. They, they continued to be flustered in the half court. They weren't getting out in transition a ton. And it just seemed like sort of at every turn, the the Raptors were controlling the run of play. You know, more second chance points, more points in the paint, more points in transition. They were controlling the action. And yet, because they were getting timely shots from Clay and then timely buckets from Steph in the second quarter, they were right there down at the end. And then third quarter opens up and the Warriors just, you know, open up the floodgates. And, uh, you know, things sort of got away from the Raptors pretty quick.
0: Yeah, 18-0 in the second half, 24-1 from the end of the second quarter into the third quarter and it was like really just an explosive Warriors performance. And I thought it was made all the more impressive by the fact that like clay Thompson early on, this was a slow shooting start for both teams. It was, I think the Raptors and the Warriors started seven for 25 combined from right. the floor. And really the only thing that the Warriors had going for them early on was clay. And then clay hurt his hamstring was out for the rest of the game in the second half. We saw him in the bows of the arena as we were leaving. And he was sort of doing like, he was hobbling a little bit. But he was talking to a reporter and it it looked as I was reading the body language as, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine, which is kind of what Steve Kerr said after the game where he's like, Clay could be half dead and say he's going to be fine. So, you know, fingers crossed for if you're a Warriors fan or you're the Warriors, you're hoping that he's going to be back because, you know, as we've seen so far in this series, oddly. Like the Warriors need offense. It's such, a, it's such a strange thing to say that the Warriors of all teams need offense, but like they very much needed Clay's performance tonight.
1: Absolutely. In the early going of the game, the only things they were able to really bank on were him hitting like challenge shots, really tough contested shots, and getting to the free throw line a little bit. That was all that was really going. Steph didn't get off at all in the first quarter. You know, there really wasn't a whole lot of other dynamism in the offense, and it was just Clay hitting a lot of tough shots early. As the second quarter rolled on, that's when Steph started to pick it up and hit a few. Demarcus Cousins was able to get himself to the foul line and things sort of opened up from there, particularly in the third quarter when the Warriors defense started forcing stops, then, you know, grab the ball off the rim, get out in transition. Draymond pushing. Demarcus Cousins throwing high, low passes, really smart cuts from Draymond and Clay. And the Warriors offense just started to look, uh, you know, like the Warriors offense we're familiar with. Steve Kerr said after the game, you know, we started to look like ourselves again with DeMarcus Cousins on the floor, which I think is a yeah. notab- a notable difference because that's something that we haven't seen a whole lot of really all season, and certainly in the postseason since he had the early injury in round one. you got the start, which was surprising to us, mm-hmm. you and I. It was also surprising to our seatmate.
0: And our new best friend. Yeah, Brian Scalabrini was sitting next to us, uh, White Mamba. And he <laughs> was like, I don't get it. What does this make sense? And at the beginning of the game, before the game started, and then at the end of the game, by the end of the game, he was screaming podium game, <laughs> <He> podium <laughs> game for Boogie. And it turned out to be a podium game. He was, he, I think he was more excited than Boogie, who Boogie was asked about starting. And Boogie's response was like, cool. Right. And I was like, yeah, it is cool. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I would imagine starting an NBA Finals game is pretty freaking rad, yeah. yeah. I mean, but Cousins uh, he started slow, uh, you know, looked like he was – working himself into a rhythm early it seemed just like a you know the speed of the game was a little much for him early he looked bad early he really did it looked slow it looked looked... like he was moving in slow motion on uh you know going through his moves you know it's like he gets the ball faces up one dribble spin move those sorts of things they were all happening like he was really thinking about every step and every motion of them and then as the game goes on he gets a little warmer and gets a little more of his feel and his touchback and you know ends up with 11 points on three of eight shooting, 10 rebounds, six assists, yeah. which was huge the way he was able to facilitate from the high post. Uh, a new wrinkle that, you know, the Toronto really hasn't had to deal with yet in this series, and a couple of block shots where he wound up being able to more effectively protect the rim later on, get his hands into passing lanes, and then that helped Golden State get out in transition. So they're going to, especially if Clay Thompson is at all hampered. Kevon Looney, who I'm sure we'll talk about, also left the game early uh, with, you know, with what appears to be a chest or a shoulder injury. Steve Kerr was, uh, was sort of a little bit unsure. So the, the extent of that moving forward. Yeah, Shams tweeted out that he sprained his collarbone, which and I'm like, I didn't know you could sprain a bone. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that either. I've broken both of my collarbones before, and I could say if it's in any way hampered at all, uh, especially if you're a large human who has to raise his hands up over his head a lot, that mm. seems like it will be a really bad deal for him. And, and Looney has had the issues that he's had in the past that have, have kept him off the floor for a long time are largely hip issues, but if he's at all impinged up in the, in his chest, his up his shoulders, his upper arms, any of that stuff, that's really a huge problem for what they ask him to do, which is, you know, defend out in space, get his hands up, get rebounds, crash the glass, all those sorts of things. And he's been a really important player for them all postseason long. If he's unavailable to go... The role of DeMarcus Cousins only figures to increase as the series uh, progresses.
0: Yeah, he played—I mean, you got 28 minutes out of DeMarcus Cousins tonight, which was a lot. Klay Thompson, even with the time that he missed, still played 32 minutes. It felt like he was going to end up in the 40s as yep. Curry did and as Draymond did. And uh, Draymond almost went back-to-back triple-doubles in this. Like, he, he missed it by one assist.
1: Yeah, and was— also had a slow start you know as we you know we mentioned sort of everybody seemed like they were having it was very similar to game 1 the speed and the pace and the the sort of freneticism of it lent itself to some ragged ball early But then, you know, sort of maybe midway through the second quarter and, you know, as as things were moving along, you sort of started to feel Draymond imposing as well on the game. The way he was able to, you know, cover up multiple spots defensively, show on somebody, then get back and protect the rim, sort of stunt and cover up a lot of space. The way he was grabbing the ball off the rim and attacking, getting downhill to either to the basket for a layup or to spray the ball out to shooters. You started to see Draymond Green affecting the game like Draymond Green does. That continued throughout the second half. Certainly a huge part of that third quarter run and the dominant third quarter that they were able to put on. And as, you know, we talked about the injuries opening up opportunities for other players, mm-hmm. guys like Sean Livingston, who he's got so much chemistry with, being able to find him on cuts. Guys like Andrew Bogut, who mm-hmm. got off the bench and we sort of forgot. Andrew Bogett's still alive. Didn't think it was likely he would play a role in the series, but they have that sort of chemistry, that familiarity with the, in the, the touch lob game, those sorts of things, and playing off one another defensively.
0: Friggin' Quinn Cook. Had to play 21 minutes tonight.
1: And you know what? Looked really good doing it. You know, we knew he could hit the three-point shot. The question is, you know, is a smaller guy, is he a defensive liability? And he was active defensively. He was working his tail off. I think, especially as the Warriors are going, they're a mash unit right now, and Steve yeah. Kerr is going to have to play triage. Who can you get out there and rely on for some minutes? Quinn Cook is certainly earning himself more time in this series, especially if Toronto wants to stay small with a lot of Kyle Lowry and a lot of Fred Van Vliet in the backcourt. Playing another small guard isn't really as much of a danger, and they could always use more shooting as we've been seeing with their offense way can kind of get congested especially with Kevin Durant. Yeah,
0: I want to get to Toronto in just a second, but I think it's interesting that we've rattled off all of the starters, save one, and we've talked about Bogut and Looney and Livingston and Cook, and we still haven't gotten to a guy who hit one of the biggest shots of the entire game at the very end, which was Andre Iguodala, and he was wide open. They left him wide open, and and Fred Van Fleet was, had said, look, basically we wanted somebody other than Steph to take that shot, right. and we were willing to live with anybody else, and I totally get that. But Steph, after the game, I guess uh, during the TV broadcast, had said it was sort of disrespectful, and it was a theme that was brought up in the post game where – Steph said, you know, Andre's had big moments for us. And Curry said, Andre's had big moments for us. And Draymond said, Andre's had big moments for us. And, like, I think you kind of forget a lot about Andre Iguodala when he doesn't have those big moments because he does all the little work, all the dirty work that allows the stars to be stars. Like, when Steph Curry's out there hitting shots and Klay Thompson is out there providing the offense that they desperately need and Draymond is, you know, running the break and grabbing boards and passing – Part of that is enabled by the fact that Andre Iguodala is that glue guy who's going to like a lot of the times, and they, you know they switched him off of Kawhi for parts of the second half when they put Clay on there, but like he's going to draw those tough assignments and be a guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands to affect a game. And then when he has the opportunity to have the ball in his hands, nails a just massive
1: shot to win that game. Absolutely. And, and is, it even started before that, right? So it's the beginning of that second quarter when they get out on that run. I believe the first bucket of the third quarter was Andre Iguodala hitting a, a short jumper. Yeah, And then uh, a couple possessions later after DeMarcus Cousins is able to, you know, sort of get the ball and, and start out in transition, they find Iguodala in the corner. And those are the sorts of shots like the – force a stop, get out in transition, spray the ball into the corner for an open three. Those were the shots that Toronto was was feasting on in game one where Danny Green was getting those looks and Siakam hit a couple of those. Van Vliet was getting those, whether it was a, a trailer or sort of a hit-ahead passes. And this, we sort of knew if the tide is going to turn and if the momentum is going to shift, Golden State's going to have to start getting some of those shots from other guys because in game one, it was really just Stephen Clay and Draymond and, that, and really nobody else. So Iguodala hitting a couple of those in the third quarter really started to open up the offense a little bit and, you know, thin out the defense, make the defense have to stretch out more to cover more shooters. It creates more space underneath, and then the Warriors passing game and the cuts that they're able to make off the ball, the high-low feeds from their smart passers – all that stuff opens up, and once you're no longer taking away one thing or the other thing, you're taking away nothing, and that's the recipe for the Warriors getting out on one of those sort of classic runs.
0: Yeah, Kerr said many times that he thinks Andre is one of the smartest players. Absolutely, uh, that it, not only he's ever coached, but he, uh, he's ever been around, and like just again the way he influences a game, it doesn't always pop up on the stat sheet. Although tonight that th- that three pointer definitely. So I'm did, looking at it right now. He yeah. hit two of them. Yeah. That was one of them. As a matter of fact, it's yeah, right it there. turns out it's on the stat sheet. Um, <laughs> I guess we should – it's sort of what Fred Van Fleet said after the game where he goes, I don't know what you guys expected from this series. Like, did you think it was going to be a sweep? Because we didn't. Like, we won that first game, and and he was saying that everybody else was celebrating like they had won the championship. And we were like, yeah, that's one game. I guess the first game was sort of romantic to me as well. Sure. But I kind of fell for it and thought, oh – I think that the Toronto Raptors are really, uh, they're really doing something here. And the Golden State Warriors reminded us that, oh, even when they're not at their best, even when they're not at full strength, like you have to have a really on night from all of your guys. And if you don't, this happens.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you're always going to remember it very romantically because there was a man that offered you crown royal from his pocket, I believe. So I mean, of (laughs) course, we
0: we always remember those moments in our lives
1: really romantically. Yes, yes, Um, I think
0: we're married now in Canada.
1: (laughs) Uh, Common law. Yeah, we have to check in with the Ontario Parliament, but we'll find out. Um, It's absolutely right for, Van Vliet and the rest of the Raptors to say you know we we didn't expect it was just going to be easy they were going to roll over even if they get injured and you know the Warriors as you know you had written about for today that idea that or for Sunday rather I don't know when you're listening to this you'd written that that the Warriors always seem to sort of look at it as if we take care of our business we get to our game we handle our uh, our affairs in the way that we sort of expect ourselves to the rest of it doesn't matter as much and even in a game where it wasn't going their way. It was really, you no know, rough shooting start. They continued to not be able to get really anything going in the half court offensively for a while. You know, then you start dealing with the injury bug a little bit more and a little bit more. It winds up being they are just able by sort of sheer force of will first on the defensive end, then with transition offense, and then with the shot making, especially late. They're able to just pull the game in their direction. And I, we don't necessarily always think of them as a forceful, as a physical, as a, you know, we, we think about the finesse and the ball, the ball movement and the shooting, but, but, you have to make the other team feel you defensively in order to tilt a game in that way. And you've got to be able to sort of fight through the defensive attention. You know, they threw like a box in one at Curry for a chunk of the yeah, fourth, the fourth yeah. quarter and other guys had to make plays. Now it disrupted golden state's offense for a while, but they fought through that. And this was, this was a fight. That's what Fred Van Vliet was saying. We expected this series to be a dog fight. The warriors showed up for the fight tonight and they counterpunched back to get even going back to the Bay. It
0: feels oh, like a real missed opportunity for the Raptors, mm-hmm. you know, because like they had it right there on a night, where not a lot went the way that probably Golden State would have preferred that it went. I mean, for example, like the second chance points in this game, you and I were talking about it at the
1: half. It was kind of ridiculous that the Warriors didn't have any at the half. Guess what? They didn't have any at all. Which is bon? Yeah, bonkers. I mean, I think they had 20 in game one on something like on nine offensive rebounds. They had six offensive rebounds in this game, uh, but, and there were a couple of opportunities. I think in the first half, there was one series where they got maybe three offensive rebounds, three good looks at three pointers. Alfonso McKinney in the corner, Steph from the top of the key on an offensive rebound, Steph relocating into the short corner as well. None of them went down. And so there was that feeling that was part and parcel of that feeling of how the hell are they only down five? Because they yeah. had these chances. So. Same exact sort of idea there. They wound up being able to winnow down, narrow down Toronto's advantage in points in the paint in the uh, in the second half by all the the underneath cuts they were able to do and all the, the movement they were able to get in transition. But I think you're absolutely right. If you're Toronto, you have to look at it and say, we controlled large chunks of this game. We sort of weathered a big punch in the third quarter and, well, and worked our way back into it in the fourth we make one more play. We make one more shot. We take advantage of the fact that their offense sort of sputtered in the fourth. We do any of those things a little bit and we're walking out of here 2-0 feeling really good about ourselves and now it's, it's it's back to a slog it's back to you got to take one at their house to be able to get home court back
0: yeah you took a shot at the king and you missed on this one they did not shoot well at all the raptors didn't 37 percent from the floor 28 just south of 29 percent from three they just missed a ton of threes i mean you got you got another on a you know air quote uh good kawaii game because you know the standard the bar has been raised so high there but then Pascal Siakam, we were all wondering, like, how he would respond after that, you know, momentous game one. Not good. Five for 18 from the floor, 12 points. I mean, he just, like, there have been multiple moments in this postseason where Pascal has flashed, and we've all gone, oh, yeah, that's the guy we saw all the time during the regular season. And then he flashed in game one, and – disappeared again kind of in game two.
1: Yeah, and there it would be nice if there was sort of the tidy narrative of that, of like, well, he got Draymond Green's attention in game one, and then Draymond shut off his water in game two. The first person to tell you that that did not happen tonight was Draymond Green. Yeah. As soon as he took the podium and fielded a question about that, he said, like, it would be ridiculous for me to say that. It was a whole, a full team effort. We're switching up responsibilities. We're trying to track and transition. You know, Clay picks it up sometimes. Wh- whoever's closest to the ball picks it up sometimes. And I think eventually the sheer activity, the showing of the length, the way that they were able to start making shots more often in the third quarter, which, you know, novel concept, you keep them, you make them play against a set defense and everything's a little bit, a little bit harder for them, sort of sapped some of the effectiveness out of Siakam's game. And I want to note that because uh, one of the big sort of statistical shifts from game one to game two, according to the very cool site, cleaning the glass, which breaks down a lot of different sort of possession stuff. In the half court in game one, Toronto scored 109.4 points per 100 possessions. So like a real good offensive efficiency. In game two in the half court, 77.2 points per 100 possessions in the half court. So when the Warriors are able to make them play against their set defense – all of a sudden, things get a lot harder for Toronto as well. So it's a, very much a reversal of the story that we saw in Game One. And when you do that, you're able to switch things up on the defensive end, put the clamps on a little bit more, make it tougher for them to. They're not going to get into easy shots and transition quite as much. Then, frankly, you're able to get yourself back to level in, in the series.
0: Yeah, shots to cleaning the glass and Ben Falk. He does a great job with that site. To the Raptors, like they had these supporting cast problems in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then I thought, like, oh, they're past it now. Right And it and, uh, turns out maybe not. And it's not just Siakam. Gasol had a really good game one. Yep. Terrible game two. Six points. He only took seven shots. He only took two threes, and he missed both of them. He just looks hesitant again. That's the Gasol we've seen intermittently during the playoffs where like it didn't look like he wanted to be super involved. And uh, did you ask him about that the other day when – Somebody asked him about being hesitant, and he said, "Well, you know, I'm trying to read the floor and get guys involved and in all that right. stuff, but I, I don't think he was doing any of that."
1: No, it wasn't me. Whenever I mean, the, anything that I asked Marcus Gasol didn't get even he pretty, shut down. Yeah, he was, he was, he was not particularly <laughs> interested in the way that I was framing those questions. Uh, you tried though. I did, and I listen, yeah. and I'll keep if so I get, get another, effort. But see, that's the thing. So if I get another chance at it, I'm gonna we're going to step going back in. I'm going to fire with confidence, and that's what we need to see from Marcus Gasol.
0: We're going to the bay, and we're just going to pepper him with questions until he relents. <laughs> uh, same with Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry got in foul trouble. I think maybe yep. that's part of why he didn't look as good in game two as he looked in game one, where like he had three fouls in the first half. He was playing with five fouls late in the game. It it just like became untenable, but he wasn't really around to do much. Danny Green wasn't really around to do much. Once again, Fred Van Vliet really was like the second option. Yeah. And they needed that. But this has been the story for the Raptors all playoffs long. If those supporting cast guys don't help, then you need a supernova effort from Kawhi and not just a good one by his standards. So like 34
1: points and getting to the line 16 times and making all 16 of your free throws still isn't enough. It sounds to me really very similar to what we saw from Steph in game one, right? You know, Steph, Steph was, I don't know if I remember if it was 31 or 34, whatever the final number was, but, and a lot of that came from the line. I think he went 14 for 14 from the line. Kawhi tonight, you never got the sense that he was fully in rhythm, but he was able to just sort of freight train his way to the front of the rim, grind right. his way to the free throw line when, when they really needed something to something to go right, some shots to go down just some points on the board. And then, you know, he had a, a one big end one about mid or, or late in the third quarter that cut the Warriors lead to five and kind of gave Toronto another, another lease on life late in the game. But it's absolutely right. If, if you're not getting those complimentary shots, if you're not, and, and a lot of that does really come back to transition. I know Steve Kerr talked about it. Nick nurse has talked about it. It's became, it became sort of a, one of the main talking points in the days between games when you're able to get out and run, it you get more free looks for other people. You get if you're doing able to do it early, they get into rhythm sooner, they start seeing a few go down, they feel better about them all. And when you go through those fallow stretches, and especially the third the beginning of the third quarter, everybody's confidence seemed to go away. Yeah. You, you miss a couple of them, all of a sudden they're ramming the ball down your throat and you're in trouble, and everything goes the other way. So and that really seemed to sap Toronto's overall effectiveness. They had no juice on offense for most of the third quarter. And while they were able to get some of that back and they were able to claw their way back into the game. When you lose Gasol, when you lose Danny Green, when you lose... You know a little bit of the of the jolt from Siakam, and you're not getting efficient scoring in that. It makes it puts so much more pressure, as you said, on Leonard and on Kyle Lowry's playmaking and the Warrior. But the Warriors can deal with that. You know they can they can they can shift the defensive responsibility, so they're not going to throw three bodies at Kawhi all the time. They're going to say, "All right, you shoot eight for twenty, we're going to figure it out." You know we're not going to we're not going to sell out and and go nuts about it. And as it turns out, if they do that and the rest of the guys aren't are equal to the task because they're a little bit more uh, tightly defended, you know the the Warriors feel pretty good about what's going to happen the other way. Yeah,
0: they're to figure it out really is a crusher and like that's why I I just think it's such a missed opportunity for the Raptors because now you're going back to the Bay and like
1: maybe they don't have
0: Clay but maybe they do have KD right. and what if they have
1: both yeah and so I mean that's exactly right it, it now opens the door you heading into Sunday the question was like is Kevin Durant going to be able to come back and save the day and now it's more is Kevin Durant going to be able to come back and contribute to closing the door right it's yeah. did Toronto's best chance to put their foot down and hit the gas and just like really separate from the Warriors and put some distance between them and golden state. Did that just pass in that third and fourth quarter tonight?
0: Yeah. That's a scary thought too. Like they, you have it right there. And then all of a sudden like that one game could change everything. Right. Or that one moment could change everything. And like there was, there were several moments in game two that I thought shifted things, but mostly it was that run. And then like, you know, if the Raptors knock down some of those shots that don't fall and they end up picking up two and they go back to Golden State and like now all of a sudden Golden State is in a toughest position it's been in since probably down three, two to the Rockets last year and the Rockets go cold. So It would have at least put the thought in their head, and now they have a much different thought, like, oh, yeah, this is what we always thought it was. We're the Warriors, and you're the Raptors, and we're still the champs, and you're not yet.
1: I want to say one one sort of interesting thing to me. I noticed it a couple times in the first half was the Raptors started to get some momentum shots going down. Big, fast-break lob dunk from Van Vliet to Siakam. Steph comes down the other end, draws a foul very fast. Mm -hmm. Grinds the game to a halt, gets to the line, gets some free throws. When there were a couple of those moments where he sort of provided a silencer play. And it's not the kind of big showy transition three or whatever, you know, backbreaker, but it was just, we could feel it getting away from us a little bit. Let's slow it down, get some points on the board. Kawhi did it a couple times in the second half, but it didn't, they they didn't get any of those really in the third quarter when everything changed. And again, goes back to that sort of feeling of force and physicality. You don't think of Steph Curry as that kind of player, but what he knew they needed it. And in that moment, he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to give up my body. I'm going to get to the line because I know we just need to calm everything down for a minute. And the Warriors, you know, we talk about sort of the institutional knowledge, the memory of those guys, all that they, the the winning they've done. There's also just a collective IQ on on that team where so many players are able to figure out what do we need right now, this possession, the next possession to be able to get where we need to go. And they were able to stack up more of those possessions on Sunday than Toronto was. That doesn't mean that Toronto's not going to be able to respond in kind. There are a ton of experienced and smart players there. I would imagine Marcus Gasol responds to tonight by feeling like there's so much more that I can do. He, the thing that, that angers him is when... When well, you he, ask him questions. A, when I ask him questions <laughs> and B, when his offensive struggles impact his defensive performance. Right. And I think that's an issue that you know they'll have to look at and sort of figure out how they can be better with. But there are opportunities there for both these teams. And I think what we wind up seeing, it feels weird because there's been injuries that have hung over it. There's been sort of inconsistency that's hung over it. But what we wind up with is after two games, a really tight competitive series mm-hmm. where it could have gone either way for both teams at any given point and now moving forward I wouldn't feel necessarily super comfortable handicapping it one way or the other and I think whether it's the most fascinating thing in the world for a lot of people, I don't know what the heck's going to happen next. And I'm kind of interested to see what happens when we get back to yeah, the Yeah, We were
0: talking one. about it in Slack a little bit about how it feels like a weird people NBA People get mad finals. when we talk about Ringer Slack.
1: We can't do too I, much. I'm talk. doing,
0: I'm doing it overarchingly. Uh, <laughs> that this was, I'm not naming any names or saying anything specific beyond that. It just it, exactly what I said at the beginning of the show, that this felt like a weird game. And it has mm-hmm. also felt like a weird NBA finals right. because I don't know what to expect out of this either. I haven't known what to expect. And I guess Fred Van Fleet is right. Like if people thought it was just going to be a runaway one way or the other, right. probably not going to be. So, you know, we'll settle in for a little bit. You and I have an early flight out in the morning to the Bay Area with the rest of the media. And uh, we'll get to Oakland. We'll we'll talk to Marcus Saw some more. And uh See how it goes. Absolutely. Sounds good. Uh, you have to go right. I
1: certainly do. You
0: have many things to do. It's uh <laughs> it's very late here and now that now your work begins. Uh, <laughs> so I want to thank you for your service, Isaac for his service. Thank I want to thank everybody for listening. Be sure to check out the ringer.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you check out the mismatch, corner three, and group chat. Dan, Isaac, and I, just a reminder, we'll be back with a heat check after every NBA finals game. So be sure to uh, look for that in your ringer feed. And that's it. Guys, thanks for listening.
1: Bye-bye.